Funkateers, Boots are here to bring the Truth and Rhythm family's attention to Funk Not Fight. Yeah, this is a call to action. We spread hope, not hate, uh, to gain satisfaction throughout our communities via the music uplifting unity. Uh, Peppermint Patty, tell us a little more. Thinker is our partner. Thinker music, that is. So please check the link that's scrolling across the bottom, click it, and submit your music. Let's all funk, funk not, not fight. fight. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by funkandstuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion Plus, get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives. And be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership Funk, R&B, and Jazz keyboards, Billy Nunn. Among his career highlights are being the first um, in the first formation of Rick James Stone City Band and co-writing the classic Mary Jane. Also playing in Philip Bailey's protege group, Splendor, and assisting his brother, Bobby Nunn, with two successful 1980s solo albums, one of which contained the synth-funk banger, She's Just a Groupie. Enshrined in the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame in 2015, 
now based in Las Vegas. He continues to perform today. Billy, man, how are you? I'm um, great. Great. Had a little technical problems, but uh, it gets worked out. <laughs> I appreciate, you know, the, the, the call and everything. Man. Well, I'm glad we could connect. I'm glad we could get the tech uh, solved. So it's all good that we're uh, now face-to-face -face and voice-to-voice -voice and we can talk some good music. Yeah. I'm uh, proud to be on here. Yeah, uh, affiliated with so many stars you got on. <laughs> so you're uh, you're in Las Vegas, correct? Right. Yeah, I've been here uh, about thirty years, actually. Okay. I saw you're still representing, though. I saw the Buffalo uh, Bills, you know, gear, and uh, oh, I saw yeah, they're they're. I bet you're glad uh, right now. You're really in Las Vegas because they're supposed to have like a huge snow blizzard coming. Oh, the Buffalo? Yeah. They, 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 every year, it's like really nothing new. It's part of uh, Buffalo's M.O. <laughs> you know, it goes back when, uh, before they got the Rich Stadium and, and they were at the uh, War Memorial Stadium. And I lived right down the street from there. So, you know, we used to go and hop the fence and see all the games, even back before OJ was there, you know? <laughs> wow. Wow. I don't even, I can't name a, a Bills player before OJ, I don't think. Yeah, it was funny. Um, the running back back then was a guy named Cookie Gilchrist. <laughs> and uh, Jack Kemp was the quarterback. Oh, yeah. And Daryl LaMonica was like the backup quarterback you know so there's a lot of old history there you know very few people remember <laughs> any of the players like it's until oj got there so that was before yeah. la monica went to the raiders oh yeah yeah he was a backup quarterback for jack kemp and then after jack kemp retired he went into politics so this is, you know, before Machine Gun Kelly and <laughs> and everything. This is way back. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So um, thank you for doing this. I'm glad we could connect. And um, let's jump in. Let's talk about, you know, your a little bit about your family history. Uh, your your father owned a club and was into the music business to some extent. Can you tell the people uh, some of that story, that backstory? Yeah. Well, my dad was, uh, he was a singer. And uh, back then it was so hard to get into the singers union as opposed to musicians. So he taught himself, you know, how to play sax so he could get the gig and then, uh, you know, play a little bit of sax, but then mostly sing, you know, wasn't a problem. But uh, he turned me on to 78s, you know, I was listening to, listening to Nat Cole before he even started, you know, singing on records. He was one of the most fabulous jazz pianists ever was. A lot of people didn't know that, you know. Then when he did finally sign with uh, Capitol, they had him singing. But my pops turned me on to 78s and then... Uh, I was listening to jazz, you know, way back then. And then on the weekends, we do the uh, 
R&B thing, you know, <laughs> be like James Brown, Gene Chandler, uh, the Dells, you know, that type of thing on the weekends. And then during the week, my mom was in the uh, Columbia Record Club. Those, you'd get, what, 100 albums for a dollar or something like that. <laughs> so, you know, I was listening to Nancy Wilson and Dave Brubeck and, you know, and all of that. And he played a little piano. We had an old rinky-dink piano in the house. And uh, he'd show me a couple of things. But a, a neighbor of ours loaned my mother uh, an album, Bashing, by Jimmy Smith. And uh, I heard that and kind of turned me out. I didn't know what he was doing, but uh, I sure liked it. From then on, you know, I got into all of his stuff, McDuff. McGriff, Groove Holmes, Don Patterson, Larry Young, all the organ players. And uh, the guy that was uh, in my high school a year ahead of me when he graduated, uh, during the summer I'd go over his house on Saturdays. Jimmy Davis was his name, and he'd, he'd uh, show me a few things, and then I'd be listening to the records and, you know, trying to pick the stuff out on the piano. and. And uh, then I met Jack McDuff one night at, at, at a club in Buffalo, and he kind of like took me under his wing and uh, he used to let me sit on the bench with him when he was playing. So I learned a lot, you know, watching him then. That's when he had George Benson with him and Red Holloway on sax. Uh, Joe Dukes was on drums. And so, you know, we became real good friends that way. That's a long time ago. And uh, I just kept trying. And, and, and finally, I ended up, uh, you know, gigging around the city, around Buffalo. And uh, then um, I got a call from a, a guy named Joselle Carter, who was a drummer. At the time, he was playing with a vibe player named Johnny Lytell. And so uh, they needed an organ player. And so on the road I went, you know, learning uh, jazz standards. And, and, and really I was the youngest one in the group. And, you know, everybody kind of like, you know, took me under the wing and, and helped me. And from then on, uh, I guess I just progressed and progressed and then ended up, uh, my dad, yeah, he was the first uh, black guy to have a record company, his own record company. And we used to record in the basement, you know, uh, all the locals and gospel groups. And my brother, they had a group, Bob and Gene. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were local stars. I was out on the road uh, with the big boys and, you know, they were kind God of a were they were they doo-wop or what style? Uh, oh, Bob and Gene. Uh, yeah, they were uh, primarily doo-wop. Uh, my brother is a great songwriter and 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 he plays uh, keyboards also. And they do arrangements on um, they do cover tunes like and do different arrangements on them. But they did a lot of their own, you know, little arrangements. They were kind of like uh, a young Sam and Dave type thing. And they put shows together and 
they were around, you know, doing gigs at Buffalo and stuff. Do BYOB, bring your own bottle, <laughs> bring your own brown bag. <laughs> and, you know, so they had a little following. What What's the age difference between you two? Oh, I'm four years older. Yeah, so... But he's a huge, phenomenal writer and vocalist. You know, he ended up writing uh, stuff for Philip Bailey and 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 a group called the Jets, uh, who were uh, pretty well known in in the uh, pop market. You know, they had some hits, and uh, luckily. Through through them, uh, I mean, he wrote a song and produced it and everything that went to like number five on the pop charts. A song called uh, "Rocket to You." So, uh, and then he wrote a, a few songs for Philip on his solo albums, and he produced, uh, co-produced with my brother. Uh, we had a group, Splendor which was myself and, and, and my brother Bobby and, and then the two brothers on drums and bass were the Shaw brothers, Richard and Lorenzo Shaw. And uh, Sasha Meeks was our vocalist. And uh, we did the album on, on Columbia Records. Uh, did pretty good, but we basically were the group that was the first Stone City band, actually. Well, let me, let me let me cut you off and, and step back a little bit before we get all into that, Billy, because I want to know, um, you know, I had read that you were able to get some exposure to like Ohio players and some of these groups when they were, you know, in the earlier days through your, your oh, dad's yeah. club. So right. can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, he had a club called Jan Supper Club, huge place, had two stages, so. He, uh, he started off uh, booking jazz groups. I think he opened up with Cannonball and his brother, Nat Adderley. It was the first group. And then he went to um, a singer named uh, Al Hibbler. Then he had Sonny Stitt and Don Patterson. And the jazz didn't go over too well. So he started bringing in the R&B groups. Like I said, Ohio players. Uh, Dynamic Superiors, uh, Blue Magic, uh, another group I ended up going on the road with, a uh, group called the Soft Tones. They were out of Baltimore. So that's kind of like when I really started getting into the, the R&B side of it. But uh, yeah, he, he was bringing in uh, a lot of groups before they really hit it big. And what was, what was the name of his record label? Oh, his record label was Modo Records, M-O-D-O. He said he wanted to make more dough, so he <laughs> called it Modo. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he did a bunch of groups around Buffalo Gospel and uh, some of the uh, other R&B groups that were there. But uh, he was very inventive and, and, you know, we were doing all kind of records in the basement. And then he'd bring his recording equipment to like clubs. I did a, an album at a club, a jazz club at Buffalo, the Royal Arms, called Doing My Thing with, a, with an MC uh, that was pretty well known on, on the uh, Motown circuit named Bill Murray. 
not to get confused with uh, Saturday Night Live. I did it uh, in, in uh, the Royal Arms and then did part of it in Rochester. You know, so he was uh, always thinking of something to do. <laughs> did, who, who did you see back then, Billy, um, that just really blew you away in terms of their, you know, performance or their, their showmanship? You know, like Blue Magic. At the time, they had like their first single out spell. You know, Soft Homes had their first single out called My Dream. And uh, even had like Millie Jackson had her in there. She was uh, the raunchy lady, you know, back in the days. X-rated before they were X-rating records. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, as far as the organ players, mostly all of them, well, you know, meeting and and becoming friends with the, the king, Jimmy Smith, that was, uh, you know, real great. Because all of them used to come over on Sunday to my mom's for dinner. You know, she cooked dinner for them and they'd come over. You know, was, I look back now and it was like unbelievable, you know to uh, become friends with, you know, these were like the superstars of Oregon. And uh, it was, it was, it was quite an accomplishment, you know, for me to, to learn from them and, 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 you know, and then kind of develop my own style in a sense. But uh, then with the R&B groups, you know, I liked, uh, well, naturally everybody liked Earth, Wind and & Fire and, and Ohio players. One of my favorite groups is Chicago also, you know, uh, and uh, I was impressed by about everybody. I saw, learned a little something from them all. Well, I was curious about the Ohio players in particular playing at your dad's club because I'm a huge, Ohio players were my first favorite band. So, uh, you know, I, I saw them a number of times myself in the 70s, but I'm thinking you probably saw them earlier on. I saw them, uh, actually, there was a club called the Pine Grill that, that uh, most of the groups used to come to before uh, they started coming to Jans. But uh, I saw them when they had a lead singer named Dutch Robinson. And they had a little single out um, over the rainbow from, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz. Then Dutch left, and that's when they ended up getting um, Junie, Walter Morrison. He was like the lead singer and keyboard player and light man and <laughs> sound man. And with, with Junie, and then they followed up with uh, Pleasure and then... Trying to remember, uh, they had a couple of them out before he left, and uh, then Sugarfoot basically took over the vocals after Junie left. But uh, they were a very talented group. Did did the Stone City Band thing uh, or Splendor come first? Which which came first? Well, Splendor was was first. We were actually, like I said, two sets of brothers and a female vocalist and guitarist. And uh, we had a sax at one time too, but what had happened when Rick 
Buffalo, he needed some musicians to uh, record his, uh, you know, ideas that he had uh, that he wanted to record. And we were like some of the best musicians in town. And so we ended up uh, doing actually the first half of Come Get It. And the Brecker brothers are playing horn on uh, all the uh, songs on the first first half of that album, You and I and Sexy Lady and all of that. And then uh, Rick kind of fell out with everybody else, a uh, little money problems. And so the second half of the album, I was like the only one uh, from the first half that, that did the second half. That's when I ended up co-writing Mary Jane with him. I did all the music, he did the lyrics. And uh, we had a whole different crew. Well, the guitar player that played on the first half of the album, Freddie Rapello, his brother ended up playing bass on the second half of Come Get It. So he, he's on um, Mary Jane, Be My Lady, uh, Hollywood. And the drummer was uh, Mike Caputi. So, Actually, all white guys except me. And, <laughs> and uh, so that's how the second half of a Come Get It album, uh, we were on that. And then I think it was a, one or two tunes that ended up on his second album, Busting Out of L7, that we had recorded but didn't make the first album and ended up on, on the second one, Busting Out. Billy, what, what was your what was your impression of Rick James when you first met him? You know what what was he like? Uh, he was he was cool. He had a lot of ideas. Yeah, yeah Rick was very very good songwriter and uh, producer. You know, in the studio, he kind of basically knew what he wanted, even if he couldn't play it himself. You know, or something. You know, he he was very good at producing himself and and other people as he did, you know, with the Mary Jane girls and Tina Marie and processing the do-rags and uh, good writer. He couldn't, uh, musically, he couldn't really express himself uh, sometimes, you know, needed, needed some help, so. But he was, he, uh, him and I, we were real, real close and real tight in the beginning. And then, and then things happen and change. And uh, sometimes the money will change. <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, he got his point across, you know, whether it was help from somebody else or, you know, like we say, you borrow sometimes or steal sometimes, you know, get your point across, whatever. <laughs> what, but, what, uh, yeah, we were. What, how come the uh, first album didn't have many credits listed? Was that the money thing? Uh, well, you mean as far as uh, that played on it or? Yeah. Well, some people he omitted, uh, like my brother. And, and um, Richard Lorenzo Shaw and uh, the young lady, Sasha, he, out of spite, <laughs> he didn't have their names 
on the back of the album. Uh, but that's, you know, that's like an ego thing with, with uh, different people. So that was, you know, basically you don't want to do the rest of the stuff with me, then I want to include your name on the album. But you know, eventually my brother did eventually sign with Motown. And uh, we did like three albums, two got released. I think one of them now is, is starting to get, you know, uh, noticed by some people. But uh, it's, you know, you know how the business is, you know. Were, were, you, were, were you surprised when the Rick James blew up that first record? Uh, kind of. You know, it was, I thought it was a, a, a good album and it was different than, than um, most of the stuff that was out there at that time. I didn't know it would, I don't think nobody knew it would get as big or as big as he did get. But uh, I thought there was a, a good chance, you know, that, that it would be successful. Because, you know, usually they'll give you one shot <laughs> and uh sometimes too but uh well i remember when i first heard i actually first heard you and i in a club before i even heard it on the radio mm -hmm. you know? oh okay yeah yeah i had just got back from uh japan actually when when uh it was released and <clears throat> all over la it was blasting you know people's backyards or whatever you were in LA? Well, that's where I'm from. So that's where I was in LA. Yeah. Well, I lived there 14 years. Uh, from, I guess, like early 80s to uh, till the Rodney King riots. I left after that. And uh, when, when did yeah. you, when you first heard Mary Jane on the radio, how'd you feel about that? Uh, I felt real good, you know, I, I had heard it uh, back in Buffalo, it, like Rick had a couple of old parties, you know, like in his, in his, in his yard and stuff where we'd be playing like test pressings, we'd be playing, you know, to see how the people reacted. You know, when I first heard it, it was, you know, I was uh, very impressed great mix because uh, there's really not a lot of uh, instruments in the song itself you know just basically rhythm section and and flutes <laughs> but i was i was pretty proud of it yeah i mean they sure loved it in la like we're saying you know being in los angeles they played the heck out of it um yeah and um did you have any idea he was going to add lyrics like that to it? That would be sort of a double entendre, you know, uh, ode to. Uh... Uh, yeah, well, I did, I did, yeah. But it was funny. A lot of people, you know, didn't even know what it was about. Especially most of the people up in Motown, they some of them didn't have a clue. You know, it was about marijuana as opposed to a a girl. <laughs> yeah, and then when it went gold. You know, that was real surprising. 
Yeah, I was We're wondering. Still here, now. still here, forty some odd years later. You know, I, I always wondered still back then, born. though, who, who, you know, who exactly the Stone City Band was on that first record because it, you know it wasn't really credited, and you know, I mean, the very first track, you know, says the Stone City Band, you know, is gonna right. rock you yeah, basically. The yeah. Stone City Band High, yeah. the Stone City Band By. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, it was basically rhythm section from Splendor, actually. And, uh, he, he had uh, omitted, you know, about four or five people from uh, putting their names on there. But, uh, hey, things work out either way. Well, how did, how did you guys... Uh make the connection with Philip Bailey? Uh, what had happened, I had, I was with that group out of Baltimore, the Soft Tones, and uh, we had went to Japan like three times or so. Uh, and on, on one of the trips back, stopped off in LA for a week or two and uh, happened to go to, to a music store, Nadine's. And uh, Philip happened to be in there buying some equipment. And uh, I explained to him, you know, my brother was a great writer. And, we, you know, we have a group. I'm pretty sure you'd like the sound. So, we, you know, exchanged numbers. And he ended up sending a uh, demo tape to his home. And he ended up listening to it and, and liked what we were doing. So uh, actually between him and, and uh, another keyboardist out of Buffalo, Ronnie Foster, uh, he was on Columbia at the time. Uh, and uh, Jerry Griffith was like an A&R man at Columbia. He, he eventually uh, kind of like helped Whitney Houston uh, get, get um, in the business real good. But... Uh, between the three of them, they got us a record deal at Columbia, and uh, Philip ended up co-producing it. And they said the rest is history, in a way. <laughs> so you guys already had the Splendor name, or did that that existed yeah. before? You did, right? Yeah. And what, what name and and the demos? And what kind of style were you going for? You know, what was your actually if if, if uh if you listen to the album, uh, you can get it off of YouTube. Uh, it was, in a sense, R&B-ish, but it, in a way it was uh, kind of earth, wind, and fire-ish also. It was, uh, my brother was a huge fan of, of, of Philip and Maurice, so there's a lot of vocals. Uh, when we actually did a recording, uh, we used uh, Johnny Graham, who was a guitar player, uh, horns, the horns and strings, we used Phoenix horns, Satterfield, Myrick, and uh, Romley. Uh, Johnny Graham on guitar, um, a guy named Marlo Henderson was a guitarist. So we had like, you know, a couple of guitars, 15 horns, 
15 strings. A lot of people went involved. over budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went over budget and, you know, but at the same time, I think it was uh, their album, uh, I Am, it just got released. So naturally, most of the promo went to uh, to them. And at the same time, McFadden and Whitehead, ain't no stopping us now, it just come out. So they were basically, you know, putting their money with the big boys and stuff. I think Barry White was... Uh, Hitting big then, uh, George Duke. Uh, so we didn't get as much publicity as 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 we thought we should have. But uh, well, I'm, I'm, if you get a chance, you can get the album off of uh, YouTube. Yeah, I, you I, like. I I was curious, uh, Billy. Though you know how going into it, you know how much. You, you were going for like an earth, wind and fire kind of thing where Phil Bailey kind of really steered it that way. But it sounds like you guys were already on an earth, wind and fire kind of vibe. Yeah, it was uh, as far as like the intricate writing and, 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 and the harmonies, you know, we're, we're already heading that way. Because, uh, you know, that's my brother, like I said, he was very talented writer and, and, and vocalist. And with that being, you know, one of his favorite groups, you know, he's, a lot of it steered, you know, towards them, but in a way it was a little more funkier than, than they were. They were, uh, I don't know, more, they were like more sophisticated and we were kind of like more funk, Buffalo type of <laughs> vibe. Funk, like Rick's stuff, you know, like that's just the way the, the the four or five of us played together. It was, you know, it was just a vibe. We call it a Buffalo vibe, you know. How many of the tracks that ended up on the record did you guys already have before you recorded? Oh, the demos? Yeah. Uh, the weird set. Oh, let's see. Well, at least four, four or five of them. Uh, Take me to your disco, uh, Splendorland. Uh, what else was it? Uh, caught me off guard here for a second. Yeah, there was at least about four or five. So, like yeah. maybe half, half the record you already had going yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, at least about half of it were, were uh, Splendor songs. Uh, the first one, first single, uh, myself and my brother Bobby and Philip wrote, and that was called All Night Long. So that was like the first, first single. A lot of horns in it and, and a lot of high falsetto uh, vocals. <laughs> yeah, you beat, you beat uh, Lionel Richie by a few years with that one, All Night Long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was a uh, beat Lionel Richie. Yeah, that title's been around, <laughs> you know, for a while. You had uh, an amazing list. I have all the credits here in front of me, Billy, and um, just so many people involved in that record. So many good people. And I was looking, especially on the vocals, man. The background vocals are incredible. People like Carl, Carl Carwell, uh, Diane Reeves, uh, Maxine Waters. 
Sasha Meeks, just, you know, you guys really had a powerhouse vocally on that record. Oh, yeah, yeah. Killer vocalists on there. And instrumentalists, you know. And and Philip, for those who haven't heard it, Philip Bailey's doing lead vocals on some of those tracks too. So, um, you know, those really have a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire flavor because Actually, he's definitely doing uh, he didn't do He didn't do as much. My brother did did uh, most of the uh, falsetto stuff on there, on um, on the ballads. Like, and then when he did go to Motown, uh, he did a couple of slow songs, The Party's Over, and uh, he sounds like Philip. <laughs> On, on his vocals with the uh, high falsetto thing. Wow. You know, yeah. And uh, uh, his phrasing on like the, on All Night Long, the first song, uh, he phrases like Maurice, you know, does. And uh, nobody's like Reese, but uh, you, can, you can hear the Reese influence. And my brother on on a lot of his vocals. Did, did you get to Did you get to meet Maurice White or any of the other uh, Earthman Fire one guys? Time, that... One time in the studio, he came in because at the same time that Philip was was doing our album, they were doing one of their. I think it was probably I Am album. They were working on that, but uh, everybody else, I kind of you know knew from hanging out at, at, they used to do a lot of stuff at Sigma Sound uh, Studio. And uh, I'd go by there, you know, hang out and uh, got to know him, you know, that way, you know, after Philip, got to know Philip and, and his wife, Janet, pretty good. And, uh, but me and Johnny Graham and, and Al McKay, I used to, uh, go over the house on weekends and, and lay keyboard tracks on uh, the originals and the stuff. So yeah, I didn't know that kind of relationship, which is pretty good. And Don Myrick was on the Splendor record too, I saw. Right, yeah. There's yeah. a he takes a, a horn solo on a Splendor Land, which uh in a sense, it's similar to uh, the horn solo he took on the live uh, Gratitude album on... on um, Reasons? Yeah. Yeah, similar similar solo to that. Yeah. Nice guys. Great guys, too. How'd you feel about, uh, you know, what happened with the record, though? Were you, were you disappointed? Because... Um, you know, I think of Earth, Wind & Fire related protege groups like Denise Williams or The Motions or, um, you know, they had a lot of ones that sold pretty well, did pretty well at that time. So, you know, yeah. how do you feel about it? I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, a little disappointed. Uh, I didn't think it got <clears throat> the airplay it should have gotten, you know. Uh, because once once people did start hearing it, you know, they were like, "Wow, who's that?" They were, you know, weren't sure who it was, and uh, I just felt that they 
could have pushed it a little bit more than they did. But I said, you know how that's how the business goes sometimes. But it was, you know, great, great thrill just to look at the album and see your name on it. <laughs> did you get know? to did you get to so, perform at all or tour at all? No, we actually never did. Yeah. In fact, we were, uh, I've got demos that we were going to do for uh, a second Splendor album, but uh, my brother decided he didn't, he didn't want to do it. He felt that it would probably still go in that Earth, Wind and Fire direction, which he really didn't want to, you know, want it to go that way. He wanted I wanted it to be more, you know, of a self-contained, smaller group, you know, not not a whole bunch of uh, production and stuff. Mm, wanted to streamline uh, you things know, a bit, the, huh? All the horns and strings, yeah. <laughs> that's ex it can be expensive, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did, you know, I think, I don't know, I think we went over about 25, 30 grand, I think over budget but uh learned a I, lot you know I bet, I bet, yeah uh how did how did he uh, financially and, and uh you know music wise you know how they were double and triple tracking vocals and you know to make them make them fuller and then uh the tricks in the other trade you know how they go back in the studio, like especially with the Gratitude album, you know, redo whatever mistakes they had made, you know, certain nights. They'd record, you know, just about everything and then go through it and then correct, you know, a lot of the vocals that weren't Turned up. Yeah. 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 That's why the, the live stuff always sounded so good, you know. <laughs> to make those corrections yeah. how, how would you say that um your approach to keyboard and bobby's approach are different uh, he put uh all of 90 percent of his talent into his own writing of his song whereas i was like one of those that we're playing everybody else's stuff for them. You know, I I didn't have the uh, creativeness that he had, but he didn't have all the, uh, the knowledge of other people's material that I had, you know. Even, even now, to this day, they're always calling me to play behind, you know, different people. Because uh, if I didn't know it already, I could learn it real quick. And all of that energy he put into his writing and, and, and everything. So that's basically the difference between us uh, playing and, and stuff. On the credits, though, it gets confusing because you see B. None, you know, a lot of times. Is that always Bobby or is it Billy sometimes or? Well, you know? usually he started off with R because his name was actually Robert. And uh, on the Splendor stuff, it was uh, Robert with 
with two T's at the end. <laughs> and then mine would always be B, B none, with me being a junior, you know. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.